WGN Radio. I'm Riley James, and Monday night the time is right for trivia. We're going to delay that an hour so I can talk to someone from back in the day. I think this is my favorite part of Mondays, actually, is finding people who actually were responsible for most of the records we play in Monday Night Trivia, as well as many other things. And I'll tell you what, uh, rarely do we get requests for somebody, but we have had several people saying, have Jerry Blavitt on. With my pleasure. It took us a couple weeks to get it together, but we did that. And Jerry, welcome to WGN Radio. And Jerry is not there. Now he is? Let's see. All right, I believe Jerry is, <laughs> it's almost like this is cursed, because uh, I think that we have uh, gone about this, trying to do this a few times without any success, but we'll see. Are you there, Jerry? Uh, Raleigh, 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 are you really going to be replacing Larry King? Oh, God. Oh, God help me. Well, and, you know, you're you're a, a denizen of Miami, uh, much like myself, and uh, you remember when he was run out of town the first time. Uh, I think it, <laughs> if anyone had asked either of us in the late 60s when uh, Lewis Wolfson told him he had till sundown to get out of the state, that he would come back and be one of the biggest names, would you have put money on that? Well, I'm putting money on you because you're around and he's not around. Yeah, well, well, there's a we got a few years difference there too, but uh, you know it, it is one of those Cinderella stories, and and to a great extent that that's true with you as well because there's so many people over the years who, who counted you down for the count. And as I was mentioning before you came on, you're the only person I know who, without a doubt, is the most remembered radio personality in a major market who literally never worked in a rated station. When you get right down to it, you created your success. So I guess the first question is, how'd you do it? Well, you have to have the freedom. You can't have people. If you, if, look, you're doing what I'm doing. You're doing what you love to do. You don't let anybody tell you what to do. You gauge what you have to do by your audience. You know radio better than I know radio because you were working for Billboard back then, covering all the radio stations. It was format radio. Their disc jackies were not allowed to They couldn't play what they wanted to play, as you know. And it was news. It was weather. Ten after this, it was the clock. I never allowed them to do that. And the reason that I was able to do it, because I said to the radio station, don't pay me. If I don't bring the rating in, if I don't bring the young teenagers in, then get somebody else to do it. So the real secret, Riley, is what you do, what I've done, the ability for you to be you. I play from my heart, not a research chart, as you know. Yeah, a- absolutely, that's true. Now, of course, uh, it's legendary that you first went on the air at WCAM, the result of a bet during a snowstorm and all of that. But I, I got to ask, in terms of knowing what to play, obviously, a lot of these songs were not on mainstream radio. Where did you find them? Well, you know, if you read the book, which I've written called You Only Rock Once, which, by the way, may be a screenplay to get two new screenplays on it. Uh, I always, as a kid, was musically inquisitive. I would listen to the black stations, and I would hear music. 
by Clyde McFadder. I would hear music by Billy Ward and the Dominoes. I would hear music by Nolan Strong and the Diablos. I would hear music by Earl Lewis and the Channels. And I would go to a little record store called Sunray Drug Stores. Back then, they had bins and bins of these records. And I would go through them. And back those days, you were allowed, if you picked a record before you bought it, to play it. So I started to collect all of this music that I loved. And when I went on the radio, I shared it. I, I mean... When I went on the radio, as you said, with the bed, uh, the snowstorm closed it. I, I, I had to do a show. I couldn't do it from the nightclub, so I went up to WCAM, and I took all of this music. Fats Domino, Little Richard, Frankie Lyman, the Five Satins. This was the music that touched me, and I started to play it. So the secret is, if you like music that you like, if you can share it with an audience and be enthusiastic about that, and they dig it, that's the home run, bro. Oh, of course it is. But, you know, a lot of things you played, yes, you could hear it if you were listening to DAS or HAT, but a lot of things you couldn't. These were things that you came up with that nobody else did. And I'm, I'm well, curious how that happened. Well, I, if I went to New York City, and if I went to see Florence Greenberg, who had Scepter Records, <laughs> she would say, I'm going to play for you the new song by the Shirelles, Foolish Little Girl. And I'd say, okay, let me hear it. Uh, then Bert Bacharach would say, I want you to hear something. Florence doesn't want to release it called Don't Make Me Over. I would bump into Bert Burns. He says, listen, I got a song the Osleys just cut called Twist and Shout. They don't want to release it. Wait, let me hear it. I love this stuff. I went back on WCAM and I played music that nobody else was playing because I had an ear for my audience. I knew my audience. I basically was a kid, Raleigh, when I began. Yeah. So my audience were young. And I just picked music that I, I liked so I could play it to an audience. Now, all of that makes all the sense in the world, and every name you mentioned is a big one, but tell me about Bila by the Versatones. <laughs> well, Bila, which nobody knew, Bila is a dance. If you listen to it, there's real no lyric. <laughs> I heard that song when I was in New York City with a guy by the name of George Golder, who, who oh. basically had a Latin label called... Tico, George Golden went on to have Gone and, and Little Anthony, the Imperials, the Chantels, Frankie Lyman, the Valentines. And I heard that rhythm beat, and it was a little obscure label. And I had it as one of my collections, and I started to play it. And kids lit up with the phones. What's that song? What's that song? Record distributors were saying, who's got that? Who's got that? And it was a little cockamamie label out of North Jersey that had the record, and Bernie Lowe called me and said, I want to buy the master. <laughs> I said, well, here's the guy, see George Goldner, Tico Records. And George didn't even know he had a hit, and he gave it to another guy, a guy by the name of High Weiss out of New York City, who had Old Town Records. 
And then Bernie Lowe bought it, and it came out on Cameo, and it went doom, 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 boom, 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 boom. All you could do is one. <laughs> All you do is two. It was a dance. <laughs> now, that that's fascinating yeah. to me, because the, the copy I have was on All Star, which I guess was the original that's label. The one. Yeah. That's right. That was Buchan- that's it. That was Buchanan and Goodman. They owned yes, All Star. Exactly. Right. right. Well, I knew did that. You know the, did you know that George Golder had Flying Saucers by Buchanan and Goodman? Oh, yeah, the Looniverse label where they had to write in the L, but I didn't. That, that was his label. I didn't. You, you know, know, people. I loved George yeah, Goldner, and the problem with George Goldner, as you well know, is he just could, yeah, couldn't stop gambling. And Moish Levy wound up owning the best labels, but it was George Goldner who had the ears. Well, George Goldner was, you know, they talk about creative guys. Clive Davis is not a creative guy. Agreed. Tommy Mottola, Tommy Mottola <laughs> was not a creative guy. Okay, Barry Gordy was a creative guy. George Goldner was a creative guy. Ahmed Erdogan was not. Jerry Wexler was a creative guy. Mm, we might argue So that. there were certain guys, as you know, Raleigh, because you wrote the billboard, who had the ear of what was going to be. Sid Nathan, as oh. you do know, out of Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, the best. But Hank Ballard with Billy Ward. With Little Willie Giant, with James Browns, but her best was the A and R guy, right? Who knew, you know, the history of this. You know it better than I. The guys that owned the labels were the Jewish guys or the Jewish people. The guys that had the ears were the Jewish people who had the ears. Florence Greenberg, who owned Scepter Record, never had an ear. She did not want to release. Agreed. Don't make me over. She didn't want to release Twist and Shout. I mean, so, you know, it's interesting if you look at the business. Who has the ears? Goldner was the visionary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, High Weiss. Yeah. Businessman, but he had a guy like Richard Barrett. Okay? So, these are the. It's a, somebody's got to do a movie on the real deal of the record business. Well, you better do it soon, Jerry, because uh, when you're gone and when I'm gone, unfortunately, this history will die with us. Now, you've written the book, and I've got a link on Raleigh.net to it. And if we have any calls, 888-876-5593. That's 8888-RALEIGH on WGN Radio. WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James, and that's a 1954 record from New Orleans, Tommy Ridgely and JAMA, but... If you were anywhere near Philadelphia for the last, oh, more than 60 years, you hear that song and it immediately tells you that Jerry Blavitt is on the air. So, Jerry, of all the records in the world, i got to ask why you picked that as your theme song. Listen, you know, I just heard you doing that, and I was just, bop, bop, that's to do, that's to do, bop, 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 boop, and I'll tell you how that happened. In 1953... When I was dancing on bandstand, there was a dance at Broad and uh, Shunk called Bambi's Hall. And I won a dance contest to that song by Tommy Ridgely. That's 1953. Now, when I went on television and CBS WCAU said to me, how would you do a TV show? We did a pilot. The pilot, they didn't like the pilot, but they liked me. I said, well, first of all, I'm not going to stand behind a podium. <laughs> I love Dick Clark. He's my man. 
Clay Cole, Alan Freed, they're behind a podium. Now, I'm a dancer. She said, okay, what would you do? I said, I would dance on a riser. They said, you would dance on a riser? What would you wear? I said, I wear what the kids are going to wear. Chukka boots, khakis, V-neck sweater. And that's what I would do. They said, well, how would you open up the show? I said, I'm going to play a song that I dance to called Jam Up. And I want you to do, listen to the song, which is going to go, and I'd say, freeze. Don't dare touch that screen. This is the discophonic TV singing. And that song, when that hit, it actually did what I wanted to do where people would keep on looking. The discophonic scene, the world of the Yon team. So I needed a theme song. That hit you right away. And when that camera hit and when that song hit, that was the theme. It opened up the show. The show began for a half an hour in 1965. Within two weeks, it went to an hour. Sponsored by PepsiCo, Mountain Dew, Lip Brothers. It was an amazing thing. But that's the song in my mind that I wanted to capture what my energy was about. I won the dance concert and that's the way it began, Rowling. And it works, but what people who weren't there at the time don't understand what is the most amazing thing about this is you're talking about 1965, a point where the British invasion is in full swing and stations, uh, radio stations are just kind of ignoring the past and all that, and here you are picking an R&B record out from 1954 when it, when it first charted on the R&B charts, and to anybody who, other than yourself, who was looking at this saying, oh, well, that'll never work, and uh, I was laugh at that because I think that's one of the reasons it did work. Listen, energy is energy. People pick up on energy. Look, you can take a, so I'll give you an example. Sinatra, I've got you under my skin. Okay. Cole Porter, he did that back in the first time he did it back in the early 50s, then he did a reprise. Frankie Valley did it with the Four Seasons, the whole different arrangement. So, you know, the real deal is the fact that it can come back again if it's good. So this music that I've done, even though it may be old, it's new to the people that heard it with a whole different flair. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's terrific. And I, I said we'd take calls. And, in fact, speaking of New Orleans, Tom is in Covington, Louisiana. So welcome to WGN Radio. Hello, Tom. How are you there? Allie and Jerry. You were, Hello, guys. That How was are your, you? Didn't know that was your theme song. Uh-huh. But uh, I heard the song. I didn't recognize the name, but I knew it was a New Orleans song. And I actually met Tommy Ridgely and had a little conversation with him when he did our 10th high school reunion in 1970. Mm-hmm. And he played... And I talked to him during the intermission, and he was telling me that if anybody in his band had anything to do with drugs, they were gone, period. He wouldn't put up with it. And he was interesting to talk to. And also that that song and a lot of other songs are what I call Papa Stoppa records, because yeah. Papa Stoppa was a, a New Orleans DJ on a little 250-watt daytimer. 
mm-hmm. who had played all kinds of R&B. Well, believe me, believe me, as you know, I knew a Papa Stoppa, who, by the way, Jerry, was more than one person. The name stood regardless of who the jock was. But uh, I'll tell you, Tom, I loved Papa Stoppa, but nobody holds a candle to Jerry. You would have heard more New Orleans music on WCAM probably even than than Papa Stoppa. But thank you for calling, as always. Good to hear from you. Appreciate that. Hey, hey, Raleigh, you, you know that Tommy Ridgely really was very much responsible for Irma Thomas, also responsible for so many of those great artists that came out of New Orleans at that time. You know, uh, and, you know, in- interesting, as you know, Imperial Records, Specialty Records, you know, all those artists that they signed back in the day were from New Orleans. Uh, those musicians were amazing. And Ridgely was one of the cats, man. You know, with Bumps Blackwell, man, going back with Dave Bartholomew. I mean, going way back, Smiley Lewis. That was the real New Orleans sound. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He was on Rick Records, and you had a lot of Rick in your collection, I know, and uh, a ton of uh, of great stuff. And, uh, yeah, New Orleans, probably more than any other city, maybe other than Philadelphia or Chicago, just uh, gave us some of the the absolute best stuff and a lot of very underrated people. But the same could be said for, uh, for Philadelphia as well. Now, fortunately, that television show was so good because in many ways it put you on the map. People who had hadn't found WCAM, well, they sure found that television show. And uh, some of us would thought it would have lasted forever. But that's also one of the most interesting things about you, Jerry, is it wasn't a Cinderella story where it went from that on to greatness. Uh, You hit a rocky road after that show, and that's where we're going to pick it up. Uh, You you know, let me tell you what happened. I fought the English invasion uh, simply because of the fact that, to me, wasn't the real deal. I agree. Uh, the real deal, as you know, is what you love and the people out there in this country love, was our music, rhythm and blues and rock and roll. And not that these English artists are not bad. I mean, they had talent. But what they did is they completely had all the charts of oh, all yeah. domination. I'm going to hang you right there. We're going to pick it up in moments. We'll, uh, we'll let the British invasion peter out as we find out what's going on in the world right here on WGN Radio. WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James, and that is a Jerry Blavitt record, to say the least. And you can read about that and everything else in your Only Rock Once, My Life in Music. And I've got a link at Raleigh.net, R-O-L-L-Y-E.net for a great price from Amazon. And we'll talk about the Four Seasons because they wouldn't have been on BJ. Yeah, it's a great Chicago label if it weren't for Jerry Blavitt. But we left Jerry in the middle of Here Comes the British Invasion and the album rock that follows. And the last thing that's happening is dancing, right? And so, down for the count? Hardly. So you went out to L.A. and tell me all about this. Well, what happened, the TV show was so big, the discotonic scene. And I went to L.A. The show was actually syndicated, and because of that show, uh, they put me on the monkeys. Yes, you can still see it. Right. (laughs) And it was a takeoff on Some Like It Warm, okay? Uh, You know, Some Like It Hot, with Marilyn Monroe, and if you remember, uh, Curtis, what's his name, Uh, Tony Curtis. So because of that, a movie producer came to me, and said, look, we want to do a movie uh, with you and 
Sammy Davis, and uh, uh, at that time it was me and Gary Merrill, who was married to Betty Davis. So I was riding high, <laughs> and I'd been doing what I was doing for six years, and I said, well, let me take a shot. So I did this movie, and I was away from doing TV for about six weeks on location. Well, needless to say, the ratings dropped when I wasn't doing the show. We had guest hosts. Bobby Rydell, we had uh, Al Alberts, uh, we had mm -hmm. other people. And so when I got back to Philly after doing this movie, uh, I was offered another movie. And what happened is George Kohler from ABC Channel 6, WFIL, said, you know, listen, the ratings really went down. Your contract is up. We're going to read contract at the end of 69. Uh, but you can't be away from the station for more than a week, and then you'll have to tape. Meanwhile, the producers of this movie that was called Psycad with Sammy Garamello, Harry Merrill, and myself, said, we're going to do another movie with you. We think you're going to be a major star. It's going to be with Dan Blocker. It's going to be with Phyllis Diller. We're going to give you $50,000 as a deposit. So I had to make a decision. I figured, well, maybe I'm going to be a star. Who the hell knows? <laughs> Rock and roll, rhythm and blues, TV, dancing. So I said to my manager at that time, Matt, I said, Matt, what do you think? He said, look, they tell me that the reviews on this are great, la di da di da di da To make a long story short, I said to George Kohler at WFIL ABC, look, in September, I'm going to do this thing for eight weeks. They said, well, if you're going to do this, then our contract will, will not renew the contract. So I made a decision, bad decision. <laughs> when I went out to L.A. for them to screen the first movie, it was a tanker. I knew that they were not going to get distributors to pick up this movie, and I knew I made a bad deal. And I came back to Philadelphia, went out a TV show, and I started all over again on WCAM. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and literally clawed your way to the top. But the interesting thing is, uh, you got to discover firsthand who your friends were and who they weren't, because uh, when you were so hot the first time, everybody wanted to be around Jerry Blavitt. Now, for many people, that would have been enough to give up. Of course, you not only came back with a vengeance, but wound up owning your own club, which you do to this day. But I played the Four Seasons record, and we will get to Daddy O'Dan, who's calling from Lake Geneva. But before we do, uh, there would have been no contract with the Four Seasons and VJ if it weren't for you at that convention in Miami Beach. So tell me about that. 1962, I met a convention at the Fontainebleau with all of the record guys. Uh, everybody was there. Yeah, Morris was there. Uh, how uh, Jerry Wexler, everybody was there. Goldman. And I am there having a drink at the bar uh, with Matt Sigel, my manager, and Bob Cruz. Bob Cruz is an old friend of mine with Frank Slay, what they do, Billy and Lily, and they had, as you know, the Rays silhouettes. And he says to me, I want you to hear something. And he, back then you had the little turntable where, you know, yeah. you could actually listen to the record right there. So he plays this song for me. I said, Jesus, this Bob, this is amazing. He said, yeah. He said, I'm going to see Morris Levy. He said, uh, he's interested in picking up the master. So I said, you tell Morris that I think it's a smash. I mean, it's a no-brainer. This is 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, 
8 o'clock, we come back down to have dinner, and Bob Cruz at the bar. He's getting drunk. I said, yo, crew, you made a score. He said, no. He said, Morris says this is the worst piece of shit. Said, Hold on. Okay. I said to the bartender, give me, give me the house phone. So he gave me the house phone, and I call Abner Ewan, DJ, Black Label, Jerry Butler, Betty Everett, the Spaniels, the Dells, no white artists. I say, Ab, I'm going to come up to the suite. I want you to hear something. It's a hit. Now, Abner knew that I had the ear because what I did, when Jerry Butler did make it easy on yourself, he couldn't get white play on that until I played it and I busted the record wide open. So we go up to Abner's suite and Abner says, let me drip. And we play it. He says, Gator, you're right. I love this. He says, the crew, tell me about the song. Tell me about the artist. He says, the song's written by Bob Gordio and it's written by me. Who's the artist? He says, Frankie Valley, who sang with the Four Lovers, Bob Gordio, who sang with the Royal Teens, Short Shorts. Mm -hmm. Abner looks at me. He says, Gator, it's a white group. <laughs> I said, Ab, so what? He says, we don't get white play. If it wasn't for you breaking Jerry Butler's record for a crossover, we would have never got the play on the format stations. I said, Abner, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this demo back, 62, WCAM in Camden. I'm going to play it. It's a smash. He said, Gator, the black cats aren't going to play it. We don't have white artists. Okay, Ab. I take the demo back. I play it two times a night. Phones light up. Kids are asking where they can get the record. Okay? They're going to the record stores. None of the record stores know about this. The record stores are calling the record distributors. Lavitt's playing this song by a group called The Four Seasons. It's called Sherry. We don't have the record. They call a record distributor called Mainline in Philly. Mainline is Abner's record distributor in Philadelphia. Barry Goner from Mainline says, Sherry. Let me let me call around. He calls VJ. He says, you have a record called Shirley? Abner says, no. He said, but the Gator, what's happening with the record? He said, we're getting calls for this record. Abner calls me. He said, you're right. Tell crew to give me a call. They made a deal. First white group ever to appear on B.J. Records at that time, 1962. And the rest, as you know, is history. And all of the songs that I played, See Soon, that was not a hit on B.J. It was a hit in Philadelphia and Jersey. Uh, all of the stuff that I played, I played the B-sides, Candy Girl, Marlena, all of the B-sides. Because if I liked something, I was inquisitive. I wanted to play the other side. And the audience, the kids, the young teens, when they heard something, and when I played it, they knew it was real. 
And that's the history of it. Yeah, and soon, of course, is the flip of uh, Ain't That a Shame, which was really in many ways exactly. a four-seasons flop. Soon should have been the A-side. That was such a great record, <laughs> I, right. I thought. But if it, you know, it's a fascinating story, but in reality, if it weren't for that, it's doubtful they ever would have agreed to sign Frank Ifield. And if they didn't sign Frank Ifield on VJ, they wouldn't have gotten the Beatles. So, in, no question about it. Yeah, and so in some ways, that uh, that fateful bar conversation led to uh, BJ probably making more money than they did on everything else combined. So, uh, what yeah. it did, it, it put BJ now up as a major label. Right. Uh, everything after that, big girls don't cry. Uh, you can go on and on and on. You know the greatest stuff that I think that the seasons did were on BJ. Of course, then they went with, uh, you know, with Mercury, which was, uh, that's for Dawn and all the other stuff. Out of Chicago, they went with the other label, you know. Right, Phillips, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, And it's interesting in terms of of all of this, because uh, literally your influence is just uh, so front and center on that, and rarely, uh, I mean, everybody in Philly knows, but rarely on a national uh, national scope do you get the recognition. And so that's why I was glad to hear that uh, You Only Rock Once might be a movie. So I want to hear more about that, but we'll pick it up with you and Daddy O'Dan and anyone else who wants to give us a call at 888-877. Six five five nine three eighty eight eighty eight Raleigh on WGN Radio. WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James. Those are the Flamingos, Chicago's own, on end, George Goldner's New York label, Nobody Loves Me Like You Do, 1960. I'm Raleigh James on WGN Radio. We're talking to Jerry Blavitt, and I mentioned in some ways that Jerry put VJ on a map, and I want to clarify that a moment because I know there's a number of people saying, now wait a minute. Okay, here's the deal. When you are an independent label, you are dependent 100% on independent distributors in, in the various markets throughout the country. And the two things that are important to you, one, you want everybody to be promoting the record at the same time because it takes simultaneous promotion to get a hit. Two, you want to get paid. And you're only paid if your last record was a hit and your next record's going to be a hit. They feel they have to pay you. What Jerry did was suddenly grease the wheels to make VJ really viable. And I don't know if you get enough credit for that, Jerry. Well, it's interesting what they said. VJ was an independent label that had all black artists. And they were not getting national play at that time. Butler did it with He Will Break Your Heart. They would get certain situations like that. Uh, and you got to understand, Curtis Mayfield, okay, recorded on, you know, when you talk about Curtis Gypsy Woman, that, that wasn't on BJ, if you remember that at that time. So when the seasons hit nationally, internationally, VJ Records was as important as Mercury Records, as important as Atlantic Records. And as you know, you mentioned the fact that they wind up with the Beatles because of the other record that they had with Frank, you know. So, and you're so right. I don't care. You could have a top ten record. If you don't have a follow-up, you're not going to get paid <laughs> from your distributor. So you've got to build a catalog of hits, so you're sure that you're going to get your money in 60 days. 
Exactly, exactly, and that's uh, that's literally what you what you did for them, and it uh, it lasted a good long while, and of course a lot of stories on why it didn't. Needless to say, but uh, uh, Daddy O'Dan wants to get in on the action. So welcome to WGN Radio, Daddy. What a pleasure to hear you two together on the radio. It's, I, by the way, I uh, just want to say. We were talking before about how the stuff might fade away. We have had musicals uh, regarding our 1950s, but I was wondering if Jerry had ever considered also doing a story and a musical like we did with Body Million Dollar Quartet and, of course, with the Four Seasons with the Jersey Boys. Uh, number one, did you ever uh, get together with anybody to think about doing that? Well, you know, when Jersey Boys came out, I had gotten a call from a producer uh, in New York City uh, who was with Tommy Mottola at that time, uh, and they wanted to develop a storyline about the music. But the secret with Jersey Boys is not only the music, but the story. In other words, every song tells a story. Why is this music so important? Because you relate to the lyric and the storyline. Unfortunately, this producer could not come up with a story to segue into one song or to another song. You see, I'll give you an example. As good as Barry Gordy's Motown thing was on Broadway, it was just music, 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 music. Smokey Joe's Cafe, which was the first of that, was really the beginning of that, but the music was so amazing, and the production was so amazing. But you have to weave a story together with music. You see, that's the important thing. Well, the, the other thing with songs, and I got a little bit of this from Frank Sinatra, is you have to take those words that's on that sheet music, and you have to pull the words out the way the person that wrote it wants to transmit its feelings out to the audience. And I think a lot of the R&B groups did that. They hit it right on the head. I Only Have Eyes for You by the Flamingos. That is the mo one of the most beautiful songs that you could ever play with your girlfriend and say, this is what I think of you. Uh, Jerry, I'm also one of those people that we're making those phone calls and uh, trying to find out where the heck is Sherry and what this is all about, because I was in Philly for about four years. You were one of the guys I got turned on to after I got there. They turned me out to Hyland and also to Joe Niagara. And then they said, well, you've got to hit Sherry, uh, too, because he plays di different music. And, man, did you turn me on. All right. Thanks. You're something else. Well, thanks for you, calling, And Daddy. the history... The other thing is this history of rock and roll, we have to figure out how we're going to get those messages out, not just like you said with the music, but all the stuff that is in there. Uh, man, I'm a big proponent of that, but gee whiz, uh, we're slowly leaving the uh, face of the earth. And thank God for Raleigh, and thank God for you. Now, I have one other question. What is the name of that book that you came out with, Jerry? You Only Rock Once. It's 
you only rock once. And if you go to Raleigh.net, there's a link right there. And thank you. I appreciate that, Daddy. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great book and uh, absolutely uh, absolutely worth it. Now, I've only got a couple minutes, as usual. And as I mentioned, uh, you, uh, fairly quickly after you came back from Hollywood, uh, bought a club in Margate, New Jersey, which you own and operate to this day, Memories. And, of course, you're also doing cruises. I remember the first time they contacted you and you said, what do you think about this cruise idea? Well, obviously, it turned out to be a great one. Uh, but the pandemic uh, certainly uh, caused... Its, its problems in 2020. I understand the cruise is back on for this fall. Yeah, Raleigh, you have to, you and John have to come <laughs> on this cruise. I mean, it, it, it is a combination of the artist and the audience and love because you see the artist not only as a performer, but you're on the boat with them. You have questions and answers. You got wine tasting. You got interviews. You got dances. You know, Music, you you know this well. Music speaks for the human experience. A song, as this young guy said to you, you relate that song. I only have eyes for you. Lost love, all right. Where or when? Any type of song that talks about our life experience. You remember the girl you dated. You remember who you went with. Gee whiz. You know, then you can say goodbye. It's all in the game. It's music that speaks for our human experience, experiencing life with others. That's simple. Yeah, it's terrific. Just, just terrific. And and memories will be back in action, I assume, this coming fall. I mean, uh, summer. Yep. Well, but we're going to open up April. Uh, April. Okay. I normally would do it. Yeah, I'm, I normally would do it Memorial Day to Labor yeah. Day, but you know, nobody's been doing anything. Yeah. So I'm going to open up in in April. Good. Good. And uh, the amazing right. thing about Jerry, for folks who don't know, uh, Jerry turned 80 last summer. And as I've said many times, I so remember sitting on your couch on your 45th birthday and you said, oh, I'm hanging it up by 50. Not a day after that. And I said at the time, you'll remember, I said, you'll be doing it till you drop dead on stage. And uh, I still think you will, but I hope that's not going to be for many decades to come, Jerry. I-, I can't thank you for taking the time out to join us, and I hope you will do it again. Well, I will, but I want the audience to know that the passion that you think and you say I have, you have that same passion for what you do. You are the last of what you do because you have the freedom to speak from your heart. You have the freedom to be you, and your audience knows that. That's the secret of what life is about. Too many phonies out there. It's, this whole world is crazy. Just be oh. you, and you are you, and I love you for that. And I will hopefully talk to you very soon, and thank you, Jerry.